Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Exurga Deus disipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio deruntium a facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. So I kind of just wanted to do a short uh, talk. Um, had a great discussion, an interview with uh, Eric Gajewski over at Tradcat Night. For those of you who don't know, you can find him at tradcatnight.org. Um, an excellent discussion. We spoke for just about an hour. It was amazing. Um, and I wanted to clarify something that occurred to me pretty much as soon as the interview was over. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defendenos in proelio. Contra niquitiam et insidias diablios o praesidium. Imperatili deus supplicas de pracamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionum animarum, perregantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum netrude. Amen. Cor Jesus sacratissimum miserere nobis. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatus Carolus et Domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facim tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So, for some reason, it actually still seems to cause a lot of controversy whenever we're talking about the Holy Father. And I absolutely love the discussion. We, Eric and I have slightly different views to get to the same spot, basically. Um, of course, we are standing on two completely different perspectives, uh, he has had much more exposure and many more discussions with theologians and priests and people who are legitimately expert in the field 
the field of study, I guess you could say, having to do with the papacy. And in general, Eric and I just dif- differ on approach. And I'm fairly certain this is actually the case with most of the traditional Catholic sphere because we're we don't want to do anything that is actually going to upset our Lord. We don't want to do anything that is going to cause further tears for Our Lady. And this is the one thing when you're discussing the topic with anybody that should be first and foremost. I don't want to accidentally commit blasphemy because I get all up in arms about something. I don't want to accidentally step wrong and say something that's going to cause a scandal. And a lot of us have determined that we have to absolutely speak the truth in these matters. And some of us are still willing to be wishy-washy. And there are many out there because to have someone like Francis in the Vatican supposedly leading the Catholic Church is painful for us. It's one of the reasons why Sedevacantists are like, just take the step, just take the step. We're all at the same spot. The guy, the guy that is wearing the white cassock, the bishop in white, has made it clearly evident that he's not Catholic. I said as much in in uh, when I was talking with Eric. He knows he knows exactly where I'm at. It's not like I'm not trying to explain away any any of what Francis says in his airplane interviews or what he te- or what he says at the pulpit that may be erroneous. I'm not trying to explain any of that. That's not Catholic. When when Francis is deviating from the faith, he's not talking about Catholic principles. When he's talking about the environment or ecology, we're conservationists not environmentalists. Every Catholic understands when you read when you read Genesis, we all understand that Adam was put here to be a steward of everything that God created and that and everything and everything God created visible and material in the universe is for Adam. And so it is right that having been given this gift of this beautiful world, this beautiful universe, that we must be stewards. But the climate psychosis and all of these other agendas that really just lead to further sexual immorality and further rejection of God. And make no mistake, it is further rejection of God by desiring instead to stay within our sins, whatever they are, we are rejecting God. It is a violation of the first commandment. Every sin at its core is a violation of the first commandment because you're choosing something in a manner that God did not create it. And the reason most people go to hell due to to sins of the flesh is because there is nothing more material to a human being than that person's own experiences. 
And when we fall into misusing them for whatever reason, if we decide that it's better to cut off our genitalia or, or <clears throat> remove the generative organs and the organs that God designed into us so that we could be something else, the first thing we're doing is we're saying, one, God, you did it wrong, which is a monumental act of hubris. The next thing we're saying is, I'll take care of it myself, which is another monumental act of hubris. <clears throat> so when they so when they're out there teaching that we need to be a church of accompaniment, we're here to meet people where they are and bring them to Christ. We don't walk with them straight into hell. We get them to turn and look to the cross and move towards the cross. Turn away from the path that you're on and move towards the cross of Christ. That's what we're here for. And so as traditionalists, we absolutely have to speak out on it. As, as people who, who are fundamentally driving ourselves and our families and our communities towards heaven at a fundamental level trying to make sure that we're headed to heaven it is not better to accompany we must point the way and most of the difficulty with all catholics of good faith whether they be, you know, the more Raymond Arroyo type on EWTN, or they're the, you know, the Joe McLean over at iCatholic Radio, or more fundamental like uh, Mike at Restoring the Faith, and and now actually on the uh, on the Crusade Channel, or Kennedy Hall. No matter what the stripe of Catholic, we all know on some level we have to speak the truth and we must try to guide as many people as we can back to the cross of Christ so that we can meet with the God who made us. We, our keyest differences are how we approach it. And this is actually important. I've said on this program that Francis opened the door for me to return to the faith. Think about that for just a moment. I owe my Catholic faith to an airplane interview by Pope Francis. That opened the door for me to return to the church. And Bishop Barron, from when he was father... Robert Barron, with his series on Catholicism, were the beginning building blocks of my return to the faith. And I would eventually leave those behind and actually head further and further in tradition, into, into Catholic tradition so that I could have more and more of the truth, so that I could get closer and closer to this God who cared so much about me that he was willing to have a communist say a word that would bring me back to salvation. That would give me an opportunity, a chance to hold on to salvation if I can maintain 
final perseverance. That's not something I can discard lightly. And it's important. There are many of us who are looking and we're going, okay, there was something he said that we came, that was like, okay, cool, I can do this. And then you did it and you saw this other piece of truth over here and then you started to realize everything that they got rid of. And don't get me wrong, I, if I were prone to it, I guess in this particular sense, I would be resentful of the fact that I was never given the faith. And if I had an accusation to make, if I were the devil's advocate, my accusation for many of these people, bishops, cardinals, priests, my parents, it would be that during my lifetime, none of you preached the faith. None of you were out there actually upholding the faith. Case in point. There is a traditional parish in my city. The people of which I have never had any contact with. It is a pre-55 parish, and I have not had any contact in my city with these people. It is the largest, most packed church in the city. And they don't evangelize. You would never even know they're here. I believe I mentioned it, and I, I, <clears throat> I hate being self-referential. I don't like talking about this sort of thing, but I believe I mentioned it in a previous podcast um, in the last few weeks that everybody at my job knows that I'm a Catholic. They know what I believe. And the people who are interested in finding out more about the faith talk to me about the faith. I don't beat them over the head with it. I mean, you know, we're at work and we're principally there to work. But I talk with them about it. And when they go off on a tangent about something or other, I correct them. Because it's more important that they know the truth. They also fundamentally know that I would prefer every last one of them come back to the church. Or come into the church if they were, if they were never brought up in the church and they never had any contact with it. And I am more pained when I see Catholics who I didn't know were Catholic. Like, all of a sudden, I'll hear a comment somewhere, and I'm like, holy smoke, they're Catholic? What are they doing? And I got it. We've got 250 years of basically trying to be folded into the Protestant zeitgeist, and, I mean, most Catholics have been completely folded into it. There's no difference between most Catholics, uh, as, far, as far as how most Catholics live their lives, and any other Protestant, or any other atheist. And I believe a lot of Catholics, people who, believe that, who think that they are Catholic, they would be stunned to find out how much they actually have in common 
with Satanists. They would be they would be awestruck and probably terrified. Because most people consider them... I mean, what, <clears throat> what is it that you hear most common out in society? Well, you know, they're good people. You know, they're... You know, oh yeah, so-and-so's a good guy. Are they really? On a fundamental level, can you say that... They, can you say that anybody, any of us, are good people? Now, I know part of that's because we watered down the word good to no longer mean perfect... But most of it, we don't have a standard to measure. If somebody's polite, and they're kind, and they're you know, they, and they have some some semblance of personal charisma, and they don't, and they're not overtly vindictive or vicious in any way that you know, in any way towards us, then we go, yeah, they're you know, they're good people. But that's not the standard. It's not the standard that we're supposed to measure it. We're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to move towards perfection. We're supposed to move towards the cross. The ultimate expression of love. The ultimate expression of grace. The ultimate expression of triumph. Everything that is perfect in this world is embodied by our Lord's sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection. And that's the standard we're supposed to use. And for some reason we seem to think it's charitable to be like, man, you know, they seem to be good people. <clears throat> we're not supposed to go into deep examinations of every other person. and that and that and Because that's where you run into terrible, terrible problems. But we're also not supposed to deny the truth. It should be obvious. You know, when the FBI is infiltrating a parish and they're investigating people and they're figuring out exactly who it is they're supposed to pick up and arrest for their extreme Catholicism. It should be each of us. Every one of us should be expecting a knock at the door from some federal agent who has decided that we are too Catholic, that we must be stopped. And if we're not living a life that's in danger of that, then... Are you really living your life? Certainly doesn't look like a Christian life anymore, if that's the case. <clears throat> and figuring out, like, it's not like there's only one way to do it. You know, there's a time in history where we had three popes. Obviously, at least one of them is an anti-pope. But the anti-pope had his supporters in those time, in those times. The anti-pope had saints who supported them. 
firm in their conviction. Now, Francis is the guy in the Vatican. And for simplicity of language, I will call him Pope. So there's never a mistake as to who it is I'm talking about. In part because because of how I've organized this podcast and how I managed to put together this, this show, I don't have to worry about coded speech. So if I want to call somebody a sodomite, they're a sodomite. If I want to call them a heretic, they're a heretic. Now, I hope I'm not overstepping and saying something about somebody who's not. But when I say that Father James Martin promotes sodomy, that he's part of the he's part of the multi-letter agenda. I'll name the letters. I'm not going to bother naming out the whole acronym. I'll say what's convenient. You know, the LGBT agenda, the rainbow agenda, the San Francisco agenda. And that's about as coded as I'm going to get. The agenda of Sodom. Because I've got no problem, you know, talking and speaking in terms that include some fire and brimstone. But understand that I'm also well aware that this Pope is not Catholic. And so in a real sense, in the sense that the bread and wine becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, in that sense, he is not the Pope. He looks like the Pope. But he's not. He's an anti-pope and a usurper. He politicked his way into into that position, and then he used <coughs> his achievement of that position, <coughs> and then he used that his achievement of that position to undermine the Catholic faith. Point blank. Am I still going to call him the Holy Father? Out of habit? Yes. Because in his case, I don't want my not addressing him by the various titles to get me in the practice of not addressing the successor to St. Peter as the Holy Father, as his holiness. <coughs> He's not... He is not. Francis is not. Jorge Mario Bergoglio is not. But for the sake of preserving my own habit, the good habits that I have as a Catholic, when I call him the Holy Father, it's an accusation. Because he's supposed to be the Holy Father. In his accoutrements as well as in his conduct, as well as in his speech. He was elected to be the Bishop of Rome, probably in the same way that Joe Biden was elected to be the President of the United States. It's probably as valid. Simply by force of inertia of everybody who's looking around. And aided by the fact that after a couple of years, no joke, not more than three and a half years should have passed 
from the issuance of the dubia to when the cardinals took action. And I say not more than three and a half years, because, I mean, that's actually kind of biblical, the 42 months, the time, times, and half a time. <clears throat> but the cardinals didn't take action, and the pope became more bold. After Laudato Si, and, or excuse me, after Amoris Laetitia, there was a quiet time. Things didn't go get pushed too far for most people who were watching. For those of us who were paying attention, um, in this case, credit to you know Dr. Stein and and uh, John Henry Weston and all and and all of the people who have actually been raising concerns about Amoris Laetitia. <clears throat> we noticed that things were still moving in that direction but it was largely for most of the, for most of the world a very quiet time after amoris laetitia until the summer of shame when cardinal Mac, when ex cardinal mccarrick was brought to light with all of his shenanigans <clears throat> and since then we've been paying closer attention as a church, we've been paying closer attention, and then he and then he came out with the what the Amazonian Synod. Well, first it was the Synod on the Family that brought out Amoris Laetitia. Then it was the Amazonian Synod that brought us the Pachamama. Then <clears throat> now it's the Synod on Synodality, which is going to be the the auto demolition of Holy Mother Church in her appearance. Now we've reached a point where most, where everybody who was willing to try and give Francis the benefit of the doubt find they no longer can. There are no more benefits to hand out. And there are still some people who are Pope-splaining, but I've noticed in the last few weeks that they've grown more quiet. <clears throat> they hitched their wagon and have, and have begun to realize that they're headed in the wrong direction, and it's possible... <coughs> <clears throat> that the thing that they hitched their wagon to is about to take them off a cliff. And mostly, I think there was no small part that was trying to hold it all together for the sake of Benedict the Sixteenth. <clears throat> I think that's the principal reason why everything was quiet, was because as long as Benedict XVI was still alive, somebody could speak out. If Pope Benedict saw what was going on with the Synod on Synodality and actually understood the things that they were getting ready to do, <clears throat> I believe he would have spoken out. And whether or not it would have been his intent, he would have simply said, this is not right, this is uh, like this is the wrong direction, or whatever. And that would have been enough to shake up the whole thing. It would have been enough to destabilize the whole thing. But now the Benedict is gone, and there is no chance of Benedict accidentally coming out and saying something. Now it is, because now we're no longer talking about one pope versus another. Now we're talking about, well, okay, it might be Cardinal Seurat, and it might be Cardinal Burke, and it might be one or two other cardinals, but it's not a pope. Ultimately, these guys are looking at Bishop Strickland and going, well, he is just a bishop. 
as if just a bishop were a thing, as if bishops weren't still princes of the church, as if bishops weren't still successors of the apostles. And so they're moving full on. And I thank God every day for the apex turning point moment when His Excellency Bishop Strickland began practicing and preparing to celebrate his first Mass, his first pontifical Mass. Because I believe that was the turning point for him. <clears throat> and I think over the last few year, over the last couple of years, because he's had some difficulty, because I... <clears throat> <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, has given us reason to give him the side-eye since he celebrated that pontifical high mass. But, things are getting so extreme <clears throat> that I believe he's actually settling in and becoming the, the type of bishop that we need. And I believe given the fact that they just came after him <clears throat> the way they did, and they're talking about trying to remove him, I believe his testimony from here on out is going to bolster and embolden the other bishops. And I would not be surprised if Bishop Barron eventually joins the cause. And Bishop Barron is actually, like... <clears throat> I have to be careful here because I don't want to ascribe to Bishop Barron anything that is not true or that would be excessively deleterious to his character. <clears throat> like I said, he is he's the one who began my catechesis. He's it. He's the one who, like... who. Who taught me about the who taught me about the glorious history of the church? Who taught me about the beauty in the church? That was Robert Barron. Back when he was Father Barron and Word on Fire Ministries was still growing. <clears throat> I don't believe he's going to be the very next bishop to jump on the bandwagon. I think it's going to take at least two or three more. But I also believe that if two or three more join Bishop Strickland in the United States. Bishop Barron will at a minimum, if if you happen to take the most cynical assessment of him, he will see which way things are blowing and he will want to be early enough to have an, to have an impact. <clears throat> a lot of people don't understand that to be a bishop in the church puts a lot on the line that the average person actually does think is very, very important. You know, back when Bishop Barron was an auxiliary bishop and they had that kerfuffle when, um, when they were toppling statues and he came out and it seemed very cowardly, he came out, it's the lady's job to consecrate the public. And then he did, and then he was finally cajoled into leading a rosary prayer or at least attending it. 
you know, we all looked at him like that's cowardice. Like you are a leader, you're a shepherd. You're supposed you're supposed to be you're supposed to be the one guiding us in this. <clears throat> and he did finally, you know, he did finally cave. You get one or two more bishops in America to follow to follow Bishop Strickland to really kind of take it to the degree that that Bishop Strickland has. If say Archbishop uh, Cordiglione in San Francisco <clears throat> or Cardinal Dolan, you get one or two others. I did mention people who were higher ranking than bishops, but you get one or two other bishops in America because we saw it. I think part of I I don't know. I've never spoken with Bishop Strickland. I don't know him. I'm not I'm nowhere near his diocese. But I think part of it actually had to do with the fact that he saw what happened to the bishop in Puerto Rico and said, No, that's not right. <clears throat> He's in Texas, so he sees what what these left wing policies are all about, and so and and he can see very clearly that these things are hurting his people, his flock. They're hurting his country. And it was just time to say no. These things that you're doing are not right. And the fact that the recoil came that the backlash came from the Vatican, that they sent an apostolic visitation to an apostle? I mean, think about that for just a moment. <clears throat> I said it like that on purpose. Bishop Strickland is a successor to the apostles. That means Bishop Strickland is an apostle. And they sent an apostolic visitation to an apostle in hopes that they were going to intimidate him and force him out. And they may remove him, And on the one hand, I hope that they're not that stupid. On the other hand, I hope that they are that stupid. If they remove Bishop Strickland unjustly, there will be another bishop to stand up and say that was wrong. There will be another, and it may not be in America, it might be a Mexican bishop, it might be a Brazilian bishop, but there will be another bishop to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. They're going to reevaluate. And those will be the dominoes that fall. So on the one hand, I don't want Bishop Strickland to be removed from his see because he because he is a holy priest. <clears throat> He's at least a smart priest, at a minimum. But it does appear that these things are causing him to grow in holiness. And his flock needs that. But on the other hand... If they do depose him unjustly, someone will stand up in his place. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And when, and when they do it, someone else will follow. And then you'll have three or maybe four bishops. And in all honesty, once that once there are two actively standing, there will be a third, there will be a fourth. And I anticipate that someone with the cloud of Robert Barron will be among, like the first five. And that will tip the scales. Especially if, if one of those five is Archbishop Cordiglione. Archbishop Cordiglione... <clears throat> put out a very soft piece of guidance where he did proclaim the truth and he was smacked down for it. But that was early. And it wasn't as blatant as what they're doing now. Because it was early on, he got smacked down for it and then they didn't make him a cardinal. Instead, they chose that 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 pedo-loving freaking uh, prelate down in San Diego... It made him a cardinal. Despite the fact that historically it was the Cardinal Archbishop of San Francisco. And they've been accelerating how they've been acting with it. <clears throat> and so I'm fairly certain that Archbishop Cordiglione is going to be among them. Because what we've also seen is, car- is cardinals and archbishops when they retire, when, they, when they're finally no longer... When they're finally no, they no longer have anything on the line. They're actually more willing to come out and speak the truth about what the Catholic faith is. I mean, that was how Archbishop, like Archbishop Vigano, finally stepped to the forefront. And they may still—I mean, let's be real—they may still be trying to kill him. He is ostensibly still in hiding. I don't know. I haven't heard any update, <clears throat> but I do know that he's preaching regularly. And this has actually caused Bishop, this this whole ordeal with Bishop Strickland has caused Bishop Strickland to preach regularly. I do have a podcast. I'm going to do a podcast on one of his very recent letters. It was beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard an American bishop say. <clears throat> it's one of the most beautiful things. It's mo- one of the most beautiful <clears throat> pastoral letters I've ever read. very much lacking in the tropes and very, very substantive. Just wonderful. <clears throat> I'm going to I'm going to do a podcast with where I'm just actually just going to read that letter because it's a, it's magnificent. <clears throat> Hopefully that'll be the path we take. The Vatican will act the fool, and the bishops, at least in this country, will stand up. <clears throat> Hopefully it'll happen in enough time, because I do actually believe that America's back is about to be broken. 
excuse me, to make the analogy, in all honesty, if, if, if America was Batman, right now America is being held up by Bane, about to have their back broken. You can make Bane whoever it is you want. Bane can be the World Economic Forum. It can be Russia, whatever. I don't care. The fact is, is that is that America is right now at the total mercy of something that's trying to kill it. And that's going to be a thing. So hopefully all of this comes to pass before that. Huh, man. I'm trying to clear my throat and it's just not working out so well. Okay. The fundamental point of this, Archbishop Vigano chose one path. There was one particular thing that spurred him on and got him into action, and that was McCarrick. Bishop Strickland has another path that really kind of got him involved. They're not this, they're related, excuse me, they're related, but they're not the same. Their tactics are not the same. Their positions are not the same. But they're pointing back to the cross, and they're being careful to not offend God while doing so. Which is the same spot that we're all in. Yes, we want them to do more. I desperately want them to do more. But we're still in the early stages. We're still at the beginning of this when people start to wake up. It may, and here's the thing. It may only ever be five or ten bishops in America that stand up and fight. And they may, ha- and it's going to be five or ten on the other side, the supiches, the nighty-night babies, that are going to fight in the other direction. But the vast majority of them are going to sit it out. Like what happens in every war. Every war goes this way. It's a minority on one side, a minority on the other side, and they fight until until one of them shows themselves to be victorious. And we always assume it's going to be Christ. Because in the end, it is going to be Christ. But in the interim, did the Vendée win? They won enough to inspire us with their holiness and their vigor and their fervor. But they were eradicated. They were taken off of the global playing field, as it were. Did the Cristeros win? Again. They want enough to be known, to inspire us, to remind us that we are called to be Christians, that we are called to Christ, that we are called to the cross, that we are called to salvation. But materially, they were wiped out. And so it may be in this next war. But that's not what gives us the prize. It's not what gives us the victory. Materially, we can be wiped out. 
Our crown is in heaven. Our victory is in heaven. So, it may happen again. Materially, the resistance bishops get wiped out by the other ones. <clears throat> by the ones who claim to be bishops but are not even Catholic. In that day, when our Lord comes, would he even find faith on the earth? I think it's important to remember that it doesn't say it definitively, but it certainly suggests that on the day our Lord comes, there may not be one faithful person left alive. <clears throat> it might be the death of the last member of the Catholic faith that causes our Lord to return to the earth. I hope there are some faithful here to greet him in that day. But he asked the question to suggest that it's possible that every last believer might be eradicated. They might have all gone to their eternal reward by the time he sets foot back on this earth. That's important. It's an important thing to note. For the talk of all of the people who are saved, there's nothing that says that they're still alive when he sets his foot back upon the earth. There's no guarantee to that. We want to reclaim the faith. We want to reestablish Christendom. We want Christ's reign to rule on this earth. We're not guaranteed a material victory. We are guaranteed an eternal victory. They are not the same. They don't look the same. In all honesty, all of the bickering back and forth about all of these little nuances, we should be reminding ourselves as Catholics that we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what the material image is going to be. We know now <clears throat> that we're currently undergoing the greatest apostasy in the history of Holy Mother Church. It has never reached this high. But in those days, it very well may reach all the way up to the top and all the way out to the last person claiming to be Catholic. <clears throat> I don't know for sure I just remember that we haven't gotten to the point where the living envy the dead we haven't gotten to the point where it's that extreme we're getting there quickly but we're not there yet and it could be a couple of years and in all honesty as, I, as I'm recording this right now it occurs to me that in the rhythmic pattern the great happening in 2033 that I'm anticipating is even less likely to be 
the end. And I'm anticipating, and this is, an, and <clears throat> I anticipate it because I'm just looking at the rhythm and flow, the pattern. I'm looking at what's happening and making my assessments there. It is adjustable. It is a benchmark because there's, there's, there is nothing that will change 20, 2033 from being the 104th anniversary of when Our Lady said, now is the time for the Holy Father to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart. Nothing moves that benchmark. Why is that important? Because a couple of years later, our Lord says to Sister Lucia, given the fact that the popes have chosen the path of the kings of France, they will share the same fate. They've chosen the path, they will share... They've chosen the same path, they will share the same outcome. So 2033 looks like it's going to be a really big deal. But if they share the same outcome, then in 2033, the Pope will be assassinated. He will be effectively guillotined. If they share the same fate. Now, those prophecies are conditional. If you understand anything about if you understand anything about the private revelations that come from apparitions, the saints, uh, you know, you know, apparitions of the saints, of the Blessed Mother, of apparitions of our Lord. They are conditional. If the even Fatima, if men do not sin, stop sinning, there will be a worse war to come after this one. And there was because we didn't. To fight these things, to combat these outcomes, they established. She has she has come down and established devotions as instructed by God. As instructed by our Lord. That's where we get the first Friday and the first Saturday devotions. That's where we get the Wednesday devotions. That's where we get the various devotions that we have that are geared toward a particular thing. That if we embrace these things, then we can get away from the from the outcomes that are a direct result of the massive, catastrophic, and devastating sins of mankind. They, but they are conditional. 2029 and 2033 are benchmarks, things that I'm keeping an eye on, in part because they do tie very much to what, what's going on in America and how America is going to fare in this. But none of those, none of those apparitions really say anything about the success or continued existence of these United States. They talk about the big movements on the chessboard. The chessboard being the movements. I should say Chinese checkerboard. I feel like that would be more appropriate. Because you have all of these <clears throat> competing players who are competing against our Lord and his cross. So you've got the geopoliticians, and you <clears throat> you basically you've got the world, the flesh, and the devil on the other three sides of this Chinese checkerboard playing against our Lord. They're going to lose. I mean, that's just how that works. But each one of these facets presents its own challenges to individual Catholics. We're about to have our money destroyed. 
I believe that they're trying to get the system in place before everybody just completely loses it. <clears throat> and understand, I don't believe that they're going to put it in place until it gets close to that. But you got to be really careful when you're fomenting the kind of revolution that these people are fomenting. Unlike all of the other nations on Earth, America is armed to the teeth. If it gets that bad, there are 100 million armed people in this country, and there are 50,000 bad actors. And there are only 5 million people to defend them, the bad actors. The numbers are not in their favor. A French, re a French Revolution in America means all of them die. All of them. That's why I don't think they want to let it get completely out of control. They want to get just enough chaos going that they can make the changes they need to make before they're completely eradicated. Now, am I correct in this? I don't know. Because they could just be incompetent and just let it ride. There could be another goal. The devil may have other plans. But the devil's target's always been the church. So whatever else happens, it's <clears throat> his target is the church. The souls of the saved. The ones who actually embrace the cross. Who commit themselves to moving... To, to housing themselves within the wounds in our Lord's sacred heart. So whatever else happens, I mean, you know, that's kind of the thing we, all, we always kind of get sidetracked by. And it's one of the nice things about actually looking at this, from a, looking at everything that's going on in the world from a Catholic perspective, is because the first thing that you got to remember is that the target is not America. The target is not France. The target is not Russia. The target is not China. None of these places matter one whit to the devil. The devil doesn't care about America. The devil doesn't care about Brazil or Argentina. He cares about the souls and making sure as many of them are condemned as possible. And when you remember that part of the battlefield, all of these things that you look at and you go, well, that doesn't quite make sense. That's the devil showing you what he doesn't care about. You know, you thought for sure it's going to head in this direction. Yes, you're looking at it materially, which is exactly where he wants you looking. So when something pops up and you look and you go, oh, that's weird. And I've had it to, it happens to me like at least once a week. When I'm looking at the news, I go, oh, I need to reevaluate because that, that doesn't fit with the rest of the narrative which means my understanding of what the narrative is, is flawed. Anytime you get something that doesn't fit, you look and you go, wow, that's, that's really weird. It's usually because we're getting sidetracked on something material, but on occasions it's not. On occasions, it's actually what is in line with what you understand what the rest of the plan seems to be may not be. As long as we remember that 
the Apostle St. John's Apocalypse is not written to the whole world. It's not written to George Washington. It's not written to the founders of this nation, even though they would like it to be, because they, in their monumental hubris, think that America is somehow the promised land. We're beyond the promised land. And this is the thing everybody's got to get their brain around. The promised land happened. The material promised land happened. Everything else is sort of like we can use it as a metaphor. It's kind of a shadow of. It sort of reminds us of. Okay, that's cool. But America's not the promised land. America's not the shining city on the hill. The shining city on the hill is heaven. The city placed atop the seven hills with the seven candlesticks, etc., and all those sevens, that's Rome. Again, past tense. That shining city on the hill happened. Jerusalem happened. All of our intent to try and bring it back again, no matter what it is that everybody's, that Protestant particularly, <clears throat> they managed to build the third temple, who cares? It's an indicator in something else. But they're not, gonna, they're not ever going to be the shining city on the hill again. They had that chance. They turned down that chance. Rome is in the process of turning down that chance now. And it's not going to pass on to Moscow. Helps if you're actually built on a hill. I, I don't know the recipe. I'm just saying. When you say the shining city on a hill, it generally recommends that there should be some kind of hill or mountain that you're actually built on. It's not going to be D.C. D.C. is literally a swamp. The shining city on the hill is the city of heaven. The city of God. That's what it'll always be. And that's the city the devil wants to the devil is trying to get all of us away from. He's not going to be able to destroy it and he knows it. But that's the city he wants all of us to get away from. That's the city he wants to draw us out of. And as long as you remember that that's the goal, the things that don't fit will still fit that goal if you're looking. I've kind of gone off on a significant this act this actual podcast episode has gone much much further than I much longer than I anticipated. <clears throat> The ultimate thing we don't have to agree on our perspectives as Catholics. One of the things that I loved about the discussion that I had with Eric when we were talking about Pope Francis is that it's very clear that we agree at the core. We both see the same thing. Neither of us are delusional about it. 
But we are standing on different hills overlooking the same valley and coming up with different battle plans as to how to achieve the objective that we're both aiming at. And that's to be expected. That part is to be expected. So whether you're Father Altman or Bishop Athanasius Schneider, because ultimately everybody's going to fall on one side or the other of that debate, remember that we all see the same thing. Bishop Schneider is going to take a different tack than Father Altman. It's going to happen. Father Altman's in America and he's a priest. <clears throat> Father Altman's still got to get all the American nonsense out of his head. Like the rest of us do. In order to see things more clearly. And to be sure, he sees things very clearly. Like, make no mistake, this is not an attack on Father Altman. <clears throat> he, sees the, he sees what's going on very clearly. But he's a priest in America. He's been canceled. And he's still fighting. Bishop Schneider is a bishop in and of Kazakhstan. And he's still fighting. Bishop Strickland is an American bishop under attack and is still fighting. And if you look at the three of them, all three of them are taking very different approaches. The two bishops, obviously, more similar in their approach than the priest. Their approach is more similar than my approach. My approach is more similar than Eric's approach. But my approach is actually fundamentally founded on a few things. One is that, and I say this regularly, I am not a theologian. I am still a very new Catholic. I've only been a Catholic for right about a decade, and I've only been a traditional, traditional Catholic for half that. And I have a day job. I can't spend all day, every day, diving into every little deal, every single theological, I almost said little, and I didn't mean little, every single theologic, theological debate, I don't have that kind of time. I would love to. But I don't have that kind of time. I have the time to take in the information that I can get, make the assessments that I can, and then speak the truth as I understand it. And anything I get right, that is God, that is Our, Our Lady, that is the Holy Spirit, that is the saints backing me up. Anything I get right, that's them. And anything I get wrong is me. It's the me that spent 35 years outside of the church. It's that simple. There are places 
<clears throat> I will talk about because, of course, I've formed opinions on them based on my other my other experiences, my other and the other information, the other catechesis, the other the other training. They're informed by those things. But do you think I know what to do about a heretical pope? Ignore him until his henchmen get in the way and then kill them. That's what I do about it. That's what I do about a heretical pope. I ignored the Taliban until they were on the battlefield with me and then I killed them. I'm not looking for the Taliban under every stone. I'm not expecting the Taliban to come out to, to all of a sudden pop out from around the corner. But if they're dumb enough to do that where I live, then they're dumb enough to die. I'm never going to have an audience with the Pope. Well, let me not say never. It is extremely... I probably have a greater likelihood of winning the Mega Millions for $2 billion than I do having... An audience with the Pope. I haven't even had an audience with a bishop. I haven't even... I've only... The only bishop I've ever met was the one who did my confirmation. And we didn't talk that long. He did the confirmation. There was some some jib jab afterwards, and then and and it, and when I say some jib jab, I'm about five ten minutes of jib jab afterwards, and then we both moved on. I walked in procession. I didn't even actually like it. <clears throat> the bishop, the bishop in Montana. I have actually seen him but we have not met we were we participated in the same in the same procession of the holy eucharist but we have not met i didn't even know he was a bishop he was just some dude in street clothes i've never met robert baron not Father Baron or Bishop Baron. I'll probably never meet Joseph Strickland. I know I would not have met him before he was a bishop, and I certainly, I mean, I may meet him if I ever get an opportunity to go to one of these conferences that everybody can apparently afford to go to. I really hate to put it like that, but, I mean, realistically speaking, I wanted to go to the Catholic Identity Conference this year. Can't afford it. Wanted to go to the Catholic land movement thing. Can't afford it. They're going to have to bring their happy behinds all the way out into the Montana Badlands for me to be able to actually come see them and meet them. Any of them. Any of the big to-do things. Because to be blunt, I can't afford to travel. Not for that. I'm not even entirely sure I can afford to make the travel arrangement to actually make to execute the travel plans that I already have. <clears throat> and those are a bigger deal because they're family. And none of by the way, none of that is actually a sob story, just blunt. 
I have a day job for a reason. I have a day job. I had the day job in the first place to be able to pay for the things that I wanted to be able to do. Like, I'm making that sacrifice so I could do these other things and actually maybe make a difference. Guess not. I'm just going to fop one foot in front of the other. Pointed towards the cross. All the extra stuff doesn't matter. And we need to remember that as Catholics, is that all of the pray, hope, and don't worry. You just move towards the cross. Embrace the cross. When our Lord hands you your cross, embrace it. And then follow him. You get to go to these conferences? Great. You get to meet all of these people? Great. Hopefully one day I'll get to meet all of you, like face to face. But I know where we will meet. We will meet. At a minimum, at the general judgment. So until then, pray hope, don't worry. Keep moving. Just remember that. That's the important piece. It's about your salvation. It's about the salvation of those around you. Anything that gets in the way of that. Anathema sit. That's it. It's the whole point. And whatever the disagreements are in approach, in the last day it's not going to matter. In that day it's only going to matter, did you make it? Did you have that final perseverance? Did you detach yourself from the things of this world that wanted to damn you? That's what's going to matter. And with that, pray for the church. Pray for the conversion of these uncircumcised Philistines who have acted with hubris enough to occupy the holy offices established by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Pray for the so-called leaders of our nation and the nations around the world who have had the audacity to believe that they can be God, that they can control the weather, that they know the best way for all of mankind to live when they haven't even figured out that the only way we live is with Christ's cross. And pray for all of us in the media, social media, those of us who've had, who have these podcasts and these websites, those of us who are, who are speaking out for Catholic truth, for the truth, for the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the church that our Lord and Savior Christ himself established, Christ, the Word made flesh. Pray and get your butts into heaven. 
This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.